The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, striving this week, as in all weeks, to be the inspiration, motivation, and education you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And we have a bit of an unusual program today, because instead of talking about the usual strategies and the uh, things that would tend to more appeal to folks who are just getting into the real estate business for the purpose of getting enough money to quit their jobs. We're going to talk today to somebody who, strangely enough, doesn't want to quit his job. Dun, dun, dun. I know that's so weird to say. You never hear that in real estate associations. You never hear it in seminars. All you ever hear is do this real estate thing and you can get out of that job you hate. But golly, it turns out there are like hundreds of thousands of Americans who don't hate their jobs and who who trained for them and make good money at them and they don't want to quit and yet they still want to do real estate investing. So today we are going to talk to those what we're, what we're terming white collar professional real estate investors. And I'm talking today to Rob, who is here in the studio with me, despite not being a local real estate investor. Uh, and we're going to we're going to talk about sort of what what it's like for the folks who are not looking for the quick cash, not looking for the immediate money. Uh, some some advice for you folks who maybe feel like you I don't know, haven't really found a place at your local RIA group because everybody seems to be talking about quick flipping and the most important things that you are going to bring to the table as a white collar professional real estate investor. So Rob, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> this is uh, your chance to uh, just kind of kind of tell us your story because you are, at least, okay, you walk into a typical RIA meeting anywhere in the country. And you see 50 guys up at the front of the room, either trying to raise money, trying to sell a deal, trying to get a private lender. They're, they're loud. They're the, ones that you, there's the, they're the ones that you hear talking, right? And you hardly ever hear somebody say, well, you know, actually, I'm just here to make some money for later. So, so, so tell us about, you're, you're like a strange fish. Tell us about yourself. Well, like many people, I got out of college wide-eyed with a degree and took that first job. Well, like many others, took the first job. It lasted a little while, changed a couple of times, other jobs over the years, and then finally found my job and my place in this world, if you will, in a sales job, in my case. Ten years went by, and all of a sudden I woke up and realized 
this thing may not last forever. It's nice the income is growing every year, getting settled into things, starting to move up, more management. But is there a future? I don't know. And when I'm 75 years old, do I still want to be out schlepping, doing the stuff I'm doing every day? Well, when you get older, I understand you don't move as well, and you're not that interested. You want to sleep later and take a nap in the afternoon. That just doesn't go with... Mm -mm. So I looked for something new and realized people rent houses. Everybody's got to have a place to live. Stocks may come and go, go up and down. You've got the gold thing. There's some other things you can do, but everyone has to have a place to live. That means somebody owns that house and somebody collects that rent and makes money. Hey, maybe that's for me. And I was fortunate enough to find my local association, went there, with a blank check, already signed, saying, how much and who do I make this out to? I've heard this is the place to be. And that's how I got started. So you didn't get into real estate because you were broke. In, in fact, we no. we titled today's show Real Estate Investing for Not Broke People because, you know, that's uh, if, you're, if you're selling real estate education, if you're running a real estate investors association, you do have to put the message out there that you can do this even, even though you're broke. That's right. But sometimes I think the message is so overwhelming that people who are not in that position are not necessarily hearing, well, there's a place for me here as well. So you you basically decided to do it really looking off into the future. It wasn't about now. It wasn't exactly. about how much money can I make right this future. second. It's all about the future. Okay. So uh, you joined your local real estate association. You actually pulled the trigger and started doing real estate. And what is it that you specifically do for your strategy? My strategy is I like to buy income producing assets. It can be rental houses. It can be notes. It can be joint ventures. It can be private placements. Obviously, each investor wants to needs to figure out what's right for them and explore the options, get some knowledge on it, and then decide what's best. For me, single-family houses were super easy. I lived in a single-family house. I grew up in a single-family house. I knew those, and I knew that you could pretty well sell that anytime you wanted. Sure, it'd take a few months, but it wasn't like a maybe a bowling alley that had a unique market. Mm-hmm. Single-family houses seemed like low risk. I'd lived in them and was familiar with them. Paint us a little bit of a picture of the type of properties you invest in. Is it is it in more rental-type neighborhoods? Is it in more bread-and-butter-type neighborhoods? Mid-range, low-range? Well, obviously, each investor needs to decide for themselves. I don't like having a rental home in a high-density rental neighborhood because you've got a million people competing with you and if some guy decides to drop the rent another 50 bucks and mine's vacant then I've got to drop mine 50 bucks to match it or or someone's giving away uh, a free month or it's just too much competition and well let's be honest sometimes high density rental neighborhoods aren't the most desirable places to live I look for places where uh, people would want to raise their children if they have kids they don't that's fine too but a place where you would feel safe you'd want to call it home you'd be proud to have your friends and family come over for a meal for a holiday something you can take care of and take pride in mm-hmm. so more of the more of the neighborhoods that we call bread and butter where you've got a mixture of some rentals but also homeowners absolutely in those neighborhoods as well 
And uh, anything else special about the kind of properties you invest in? I mean, we've had people come on here and say, I don't buy anything built before 1960, or I don't buy anything that's two stories, or I don't buy anything that doesn't have a driveway. Is there anything else that's particularly special about the investments you've made? Garages are nice, but not necessary. One of the things I look for is two places to park. There are very few people that move into a place and have only one car. Sometimes there are multiple people that are drivers that move into a property. You need a couple of places to park. They can be in the driveway. They can be on the street. The key is two places to park. That seems to be a good thing. I like not on a busy street. There's a saying that says if there's a double line down the middle of the road, that's just too busy. Another school of thought is if it takes you more than five seconds to back out of your driveway in the morning, it's too busy. But again, if it's too busy, you're not going to cut the kids loose out front and let them play out in front of the house because the traffic's too much and you know the dog might get hit by the car. It's just dangerous. It's not maybe as desirable as a quieter street or even a cul-de-sac. Cul-de-sacs are great. Mm-hmm. So you really you really fall more into the category of what I would call a semi-passive investor. You're not just sticking your money in a REIT and you don't even know what properties it's in and somebody else manages it and chooses the properties and all of that sort of stuff. You've made decisions about this is what I want, I'm going to evaluate it, I'm going to go buy it, and then how how involved are you in the management of it? That's a great question. How involved in the management? My job, I feel, is to manage the manager. There are small decisions that are made every day that I don't need to be involved with. Why? Because I'm working the job. I'm doing what I love. I'm doing what I've trained for. I'm doing what I'm very good at. And frankly, that's the highest and best use of my time and the best chance for me to get good income. So small day-to-day things like paying bills and taking care of vendor calls and the resident tenant calls with some problem, that should be handled by somebody else, not me. The bigger decisions, sure, the management sends me a message, email, text, call. Hey, we've got a bigger decision that involves more dollars. My job is to manage the manager and see that everything is on track, follow reports. It doesn't have to be a big numbers thing. Don't think you have to be an accountant. But simply put, my job is to manage the manager to see that things are getting done, and frankly, that money's coming in that I can use to pay down the debt. Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Rob, and we are talking about how to get into real estate investing if you are not broke. We're, we're talking about, for all of those zillions of, of higher-income, white-collar, and even blue-collar workers who don't want to quit their jobs but want to have a way of planning out their futures without get, you know taking on a second job and flipping properties or something, and what that looks like, what kind of preparation and training you need to do that, how to find your place at a local real estate association, and some very important resources that you're going to need if you are going to do this. We are also taking your questions today. Uh, The easiest way to do it if you're at your job and you don't want your boss to know that you're listening to a real estate show is to send us an email, askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail. Or you can give us a call here in the studio at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Rob, who is here to sort of talk to the the more ignored half of the population that isn't interested in quick cash, isn't going to go out and spend 20 hours a week wholesaling because they don't want a che- big check. They want passive income, and often, often passive income, not even now, but later in, in retirement. And uh, there, there's kind of a, I don't know, 
it's like a real estate urban legend that goes there's there's a career path in real estate and the career path is first you wholesale then you retail then you get into rental properties and then you go from single family homes to apartment buildings and that is absolutely untrue for the simple reason that not everybody needs to go through the wholesale retail part of that in order to get the money to go buy the rental properties and uh, rob i think that's pretty much what what you did was just start right on out going to the bank borrowing money putting money down like like you've heard a million people probably tell you you should never put any money down you should never sign your name on a loan and yet that's what you did exactly in fact the first one was pretty much 100% no money down except I ended up putting about $700 into it so I financed all of it including all the fees and whatnot so 700 bucks for the first one I didn't get it at 70% fixed up value it was already fixed up I was new I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know any contractors I was new I was just excited to get the first deal done which can be important if you're brand new hey, when will this pay off? Well, you've got to start making offers and then pull that trigger. So I got one, got in it, used my credit, used my collateral job, frankly. The job helped too. So I had everything that the banker wanted and said, mm, great, I'd be glad to loan you this money and welcome you're in your first rental property. Mm-hmm. Now we've kind of we've kind of circled around this question a couple of times and I, I, if you could just lay it out for listeners, you have a good job. One assumes that you've been contributing to your 401k and doing all the things that responsible professionals are supposed to be doing. So what is in it for you to do real estate at all? Passive income later. You go to these meetings, you hear a lot about quick cash now. Well, I have quick cash now. It's called payday every two weeks. I wait 14 days and here comes quick cash. In fact, it's shot into my bank account. Quick cash, done. And then in two more weeks, somebody pushes a button, quick cash shows up again. I just have to keep doing my job and being nice to people and cooperative, and then quick cash shows up. So what about down the road? I may not be able to do what I'm doing now when I'm much older. I'm not 100% certain Social Security will provide me the lifestyle that maybe I've grown accustomed to. So I figure I better supplement it with another handful of sources of income and real estate looks like a pretty good place to do it why not just do the super hands-off stuff that everybody else you know does stocks bonds mutual funds annuities i mean then you don't even have to you don't even have to manage the manager true but do you really think that the three or five or seven percent whatever the company employer matches and there's a limit on that too how much you can put aside, is that all you should be putting aside? And frankly, most people realize, no, I'm not putting enough aside, even after the employer match and beyond. I need to put more aside because, again, Social Security may not give me the kind of lifestyle that I've grown accustomed to. There's a saying you live on 70% of your income in retirement, and it's really not true. You live on nearly 100%. So when you quit that job, that little bit of Social Security and the pension. Oh, wait, we don't do pensions anymore, right? This is, you've got to save it yourself. And the 401k, the 403b, I don't know that I can ever put enough in there to make that work. So I better be doing some extra saving on the side. Now, yes, stocks, bonds, those things are, are nice tools, but 100% of my money has to go in there into that investment. With real estate, less than 100% of my money can go ahead and secure that rental income, that 
passive income stream that I'm looking for later. Mm-hmm. So income is leverageable, unlike most or income real estate. Real estate, is what I meant very to say, very le- leverageable. <laughs> it was leverageable, uh, unlike a lot of these other things. You know, there's 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 ways to leverage your way into stocks and whatnot, but they they tend to be considered pretty risky when leveraging real estate is normal. Ten percent down, twenty percent down. You get the keys, you get the deed. That's that's normal. Um, also, I don't think that most of these other things we're talking about give you any tax breaks on that income. That and we you're didn't even talk about getting tax shot breaks. into your bank account every couple of weeks. Exactly. So with real estate, of course, when you sell it, you get potentially long-term tax gain treatment, which is less than paying your normal income gain. And these people that are doing wholesaling and fixing and, and reselling quickly or retailing, if you will. They pay normal taxes, like I pay, FICA, FUDA, and all that other stuff, and it's a lot of taxes. It's a whole lot of taxes. So if you can hold that asset for a while, and it doesn't matter what kind of asset it is, whether it's stocks or bonds, it's true for them too, but for real estate, not only do we get that long-term tax treatment, but we also get depreciation. That is a magic word, and you can use that depreciation, especially if it's a loss, to shield your active income, which means lower taxes. Mm-hmm. Again, consult your tax advisor. We're not giving legal accounting or other professional advice here, but it's a nice thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you've convinced me that everybody like you who has a job should go do some nice, easy real estate investments. Maybe not Maybe not do $50,000 rehabs on houses because those are time consuming and your time might be better spent not doing that. Maybe buy houses in nicer neighborhoods. Why? Because you can, because you have the money and credit to do that. Exactly. Why do you think more kind of working white collar professional type people are not getting into real estate investing? I think two reasons. I think they're not sure where to start, but the biggest reason is they're not sure this exists. I think for a lot of folks walking around, maybe listening today, they only know about real estate investment trusts or some formal, large, big thing that one of the major Wall Street investment houses offers. Or what they're seeing on late night TV, which is some guy screaming at them about how they can make $10,000 tomorrow. Oh, yes. Which, those guys. Mm-hmm. Which, which you know, can turn off. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, you know, there's a certain um, BS alarm it's, it's and ick factor, factor yeah. yes. And, and that's, just not, that's just not how everybody invests. And, Correct. And I'm not, but, but, but I'm not sure that the, the folks like you, who are on a more slow, steady, you know, I'm going to wait around for the right property, and then I'm going to buy it the way I want to buy it. I, I'm not sure you guys are take up nearly as much of the uh, nation's brain space in regards to real estate investing as the folks that have what you called the ick factor. So either either you think a lot of these folks like you are either not aware that they can make their own individual investment decisions or don't know how to get started. How did you, uh, you, you did it, right? So, so it's not impossible to do. How did you get past that? I'm not, I'm not sure if it's real and I'm not sure if there's, you know, information out there that I can get. That's an easy question. That was the local investor association. No kidding. I was referred not by one local person, but by two. We had mutual friends in common, and they said, you've got to go join this group. 
they didn't get into it and say, you need to buy this kind of property or you need to look at that kind of investment. They said, just go here, meet other people, listen and learn and soak it all up and look at all the different opportunities and then do it for a little amount of time, set a time limit, not eternity, but set a little bit of time on it. In my case, it was about six months. I learned and learned and learned and soaked it up and soaked it up all I could. And then I knew it was time I had to start making offers, which I'll tell you was scary. Very scary to put that out. But you start doing it, you start doing it. And then when you get that first deal, I promise you, it is a rush. It's exciting. It's fun. It's more than just a business. It, it just feels good to know now I've got an investment that I actually had say over and I have some sort of control over. And, and it's exhilarating. And you'll like it and do more of those. But let me challenge you a little bit on that because I often stand at the back of the rooms in real estate associations, you know, waiting to go on stage or whatever. And I watch, I watch what's happening and I watch the language that the group leaders use and that the members use with each other. And it is so oriented toward this idea of we got to go out and make money so that we can end up where you are. You know, we, we got to go, we got to go, flip houses so that we can have enough money to go buy rental houses for cash or to get our credit score up to the point where we can do this. In fact, at most RIA groups, people can't even say the word job. They spell it. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like you never hear somebody stand at the front of the room and say, well, I quit my job. They say, I quit my J-O-B, <laughs> which means, for those of you who are not familiar with this particular thing, it stands for just over broke. So if a if a, a professional who is thinking, I want to go here, I want to learn how to buy rentals, I am going to write a check, I am going to use my credit score, I am going to go to my local banker, and they're hearing this language, don't you think that maybe they feel like this isn't the right place for them? I think they could feel that way, but my encouragement would be look past that. When I'm talking to somebody that's new, if I find out they're at the meeting tonight for the first time, I know what they're thinking. Wow. You, you could just tell the bright eyes, the wide open. They don't really know what's going on. And I say, listen, learn, soak it all up, write things down, take a lot of notes, and then put the date on it and go back in a year and read them again and see how much you've learned. But one of the key things is listen for things that you think you don't want to do. Don't just listen for and think you're going to do everything you hear about. Look for things and say, wow, I really don't think I like that. That, mm -mm. Um, no, I'm not going to do that one particular thing. Mark it off the list. It's okay sometimes to know what you don't want to do as well as what you do want to do. And then come back to the next meeting because they'll be talking about something different. That's, That's the, correct. I, next <laughs> month it'll be something new, something different, and you won't have heard about that before either. Take notes. Yeah, I don't I don't think people understand sometimes if they come to one meeting and they get turned off by one person's spelling job and sounding like they're sneering at, at the idea that anyone would ever want to have a job and they don't they don't come back and discover that each meeting is actually different and that you know, what happened at the first meeting isn't necessarily what happened at every meeting. And the other thing is, there are people in that room just like you. They're just not the ones at the front looking for money. And you, you, you have to network. Exactly. Exactly. There are more people in that room that are like you than you realize. And they don't have any deals to 
buy or sell. They're not the loud wholesalers, as you said. And, and great. I love wholesalers because I like it when they bring me deals. As you said, they go out and do the work and bring it to me, and then I make the decision, write the check. My job is to write checks. My job is to work with other people when they bring me opportunities. My job is to make decisions. When we come back, we're going to talk about specific preparation and training that you need if you are a professional, has a good job, isn't really interested in the quick cash stuff. And we're also going to talk about the most important resources that you have. And I'll give you a hint. It has to do with credit and relationships. We'll also take your calls at 877-772-9658 or your email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Remember, you can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate through our website at realliferealestate.com. One of the things that you can check out while you're there is the $5 to start inter- inner circle program. If you go to realliferealestate.com, look along the left side there. There's a button to push that uh, will take you to a description of all of the great benefits of being in the inner circle program. And the best thing is... Your monthly fee for Inner Circle does go to WMKV-FM. So it's like wonderful because you get a weekly class, you get unlimited online coaching, and you get to support WMKV. It's $5 to start, $39.97 a month after that, and you can quit anytime. So there is just absolutely no risk to you except the risk that you won't join and you'll have an important real estate question. And it won't be Wednesday night. And you won't be able to ask it and you lose the deal and your wife leaves you and your dog runs away and just go to realliferealestate.com and click that button and sign up for five bucks. It helps WMKV, helps cut weeks off the pledge drive apparently, and also uh, helps you in your real estate investing career. Uh, Our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. Email is askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A. Talking today to Rob about what what people who are not interested in the whole quick cash aspect of real estate investing just want to go right on to that investing for passive income and maybe maybe even like don't even care if I make any money right now. I just want these properties paid off by the time I'm ready to retire and I just want the money coming in. I don't want to do a lot of work for it. I'm going to put my money into it. So, uh, Rob, it's not that... Uh, okay, let me say it this way. I worry for people like you who don't join real estate associations because it is so easy for them to get taken advantage of by folks who are in the real estate business who are looking to sell them assets. And I'm not I'm not saying that like every asset that somebody wants to sell you is a bad one. I'm saying if you don't know how to look at it and how to evaluate it, you can make some terrible terrible purchases. You can overpay for for properties, repairs, everything. And uh I think that some folks who are, you know, have full-time jobs, they they want they want real estate to be as kind of passive as buying stock and it's just not so in terms of preparation and training what would you recommend to people so that yes they can make their hands-off investment but at the same time they're making good investments i think folks that have a good well-paying job that they're stable in they've got some tenure in i think they probably already have a lot of the mental tools that they need 
for instance, they have persistent. They probably have skills managing people, skills working with people. You've got to play well in the sandbox and real estate investing. You'll have other people to work with. You'll have contractors, painters, property managers. Frankly, you might choose to self-manage your tenants. But with any kind of investment, you need to learn how to evaluate this new asset class, which is real estate. If you're buying stocks, you're buying mutual funds, you're buying bonds, you learned how to hopefully learn how to evaluate it, not just somebody said do it. You need to learn how to do that. Now, you can learn that. You can educate yourself. It's not expensive. It's not painful. And frankly, it's not terribly time-consuming. Plan to invest a few hours a month at your local investor association. Get the knowledge. Learn the things you, you like and learn more about those. But think about it. These new assets, say it's a house, what does it cost to fix up the problem this particular house has? Does this crack in the foundation mean something? I've heard about a soil stack. I don't know what that is. Uh, you're used to getting pretty prospectuses on nice thick paper for maybe stocks, bonds, mutual funds. What if you get handed one for a turnkey rental? Did you know that those maybe don't have the same laws, rules, and regulations that the stock and bond and mutual fund things have? What if that turnkey property prospectus has things that are, let's say, less than truthful. You've got to educate yourself. And it's not, as you said, it's not a painful process to figure out how to evaluate a property. And, and by evaluate, we just mean like, if you're looking to pay a particular price for a house, is that price at or below what other people are paying for similar houses in similar condition? And as you said, joining a local real estate association of some sort uh, is a good way to just pick up that on that really quickly. But you know what the other thing about being in a group like that is, is any knowledge you don't have, somebody in that room does. Somebody have. in that room does have it. That's exactly right. There's so many people from so many backgrounds with so many interests. If you'll go show up and be around, I'd say come early, stay late. That is the best advice I can give to new people. Come early, stay late. Don't be in a hurry to rush home. You are not going to turn into a pumpkin at 9 o'clock. Some of the best conversations, some of the best knowledge, some of the best tips, tricks, contractor piece, referrals, pieces of advice I have gotten after the meeting was over. If there's a meeting after the meeting, maybe at a restaurant or somewhere, stick around. Get to know those people. Keep showing up. When people know you, They'll begin to like you, and then they'll trust you, and they will open up and tell you the things that you need to know to make better investments. And the better investments today mean more income for you tomorrow, and that's what you want. When we were talking about uh, putting together this show, and I, I asked you the question, so of all of the things that a white-collar professional brings to the table already, like when they're making their first real estate investment, what is the most important and you just I mean you jumped straight on that with it is credit it is absolutely 100% credit 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 why is that because credit is the golden ticket credit is your golden ticket in fact good credit is your golden ticket because banks want to loan you money it doesn't matter what you hear in the news media Banks only make money when they loan money. They want to loan good money that has been on deposit for a good price to good people on good collateral who will pay them back on time, which means good. It's all good. You hear good all throughout. Lending is good for banks. 
frankly, borrowing is good for the investor because I can borrow their money at a relatively low rate, prime, prime plus one, prime rate plus two percent, and go and buy an asset that will spit off cash to me for as long as I want to own that asset, for as long as I want to keep that loan out there. And banks love that interest income stream. That is how they profit and pay their stockholders, is that interest income stream. In fact, the bank doesn't want you to pay them off. They hate being paid off. They want to be paid on time, every time, month after month. They want that monthly stream of income, frankly, like I do. If I have a monthly stream of income until the day I die, I have money to buy groceries, gas, and frankly, take care of my needs. I don't know about you, but I like eating three times a day. (laughs) And you have to have money when you check out at the grocery. They don't say, oh, well, you seem like a nice guy. We'll just give this one to you. It's on us. No, I need that passive income every month just like the bank wants that interest income every month. And we're going to give some some actual tips to folks that uh, um, n- need to raise their credit score up into the stratosphere, because we're talking here about pretty stratospheric credit. We're talking about 790, 800 plus credit scores that will get you these things. But as we were talking, it became clear to me that folks with good jobs and very high credit scores just get treated different than everyone else. I mean, everyone hears about the uh, the mortgage, right? The, the conventional mortgage. You got to have certain requirements. You got to put 25% down. You got to pay a certain interest rate. And that's just not quite the way it is when your credit score is really high because, man, they will give you loans when you don't even have a property to back it up with. Yes, that's called unsecured line of credit. And I'm here to tell you, those are great. Imagine having a line of credit of some number, let's call it $50,000, that you came in, signed some papers, they pulled your credit, and magically they will give you $50,000 anytime you want to walk in there and get it. Here's your check. And you can spend it on whatever you want because they know you're going to borrow that money to go out and make more money, which means you're going to pay them back. They can look at your credit and see, wow, you pay everyone else back on time. Your credit score, in fact, I'd I'd shoot for 680 if you're not there. Once you're at 680, shoot for 720. Then from 720, go to 740. You get so much good treatment once you get to the 740 and higher. How much can I loan you today? How much more can I loan you today? Please don't pay us off early. Can we loan you more money? Would you like another line of credit? It's great. Mm -hmm. And it's very different than walking in with your 650 credit score and uh, begging for a mortgage. There's a there's a saying that, you know, they only give money to people who don't need money. That's right. And they're begging <laughs> you to take a mortgage. Please borrow more money. Yes. Now, let's uh, briefly, before we take our last break here, talk about some ideas that you have for folks who maybe, you know, maybe they're, they're already kind of up there, but they want to get really up there so that they can do things like make cash offers on houses because they have a line of credit, because they don't need to apply for a mortgage. They don't need 45 days to close. They can say, I'll close in seven days if you will accept my offer. Tell us some things they can do for their credit. First thing is pay all your bills on time. I don't care what the bill is, pay it all on time. Second thing is you need to have what's called an ideal credit mix. That is one mortgage, one car payment, and three to five major credit cards. That is not a department store card or a you bought tires and they were going to give you 10% off if you put it on the tire card. Those kind of limited credit lines actually can harm your credit score. 
three to five major credit cards will help round that out. And then, of course, you have to use those. Don't get in trouble, but a lot of these people that meet this criteria will not get in trouble. Buy a tank of gas every month on it. Just keep that card active and then pay it on time every time without fail. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised to find that a lot of Americans have lower credit scores than they should because they don't have enough credit. They During the recession, they threw, they cut up all their credit cards. They said, not doing that anymore. And now they've got like one credit card with a $2,000 balance, the line of credit that they keep paid off all the time. And that is actually hurting their credit score because they're making one hundred and fifty grand a year and they have one $2,000 credit card. That's right. Try to find some credit cards that you can keep a long time. Don't get obsessed on finding the perfect one now. Just decide you're going to get one. Get one with a zero annual fee so you can keep it for a long time, as opposed to one with an annual fee right off the bat. What if in two years you don't like it? Well, get one that has zero annual fee and looks like it will meet your needs. Never let that interest go. Pay it off on time and in full each time. Again, this don't get in trouble. If you cut up your credit cards because you had a problem before, be careful. Don't get into that trap again. Use that credit wisely because if you have those three to five trade lines, they're actually called, but those three to five credit cards, good trade lines paid on time every time, six months history of that, wow, looks great. And then when you get to 24 months, magic happens. Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm talking today to Rob about the, the, the strategy for somebody who does have a job, doesn't want to be super active in the real estate business, but has good credit, cash, all of that fine stuff that everyone is striving for. We'll take your calls at 877-772-9658 or your emails at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We are talking today to Rob. And I know, you know, for some for some folks are going, wait, 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 let's get back to how to make quick cash. But, you know, what Rob does is the goal of most people who are looking to make quick cash right now. The goal is eventually not wholesale, not retail, own passive properties that are throwing off a check every month, even though you don't go do another deal. And while there is a lot of sneering, both in real estate associations and there's been the guests here on Real Life Real Estate that have said things like, oh, don't ever borrow money from a bank. That's a terrible idea. You have to personally guarantee those loans. Well, guess what? It's a perfectly fine thing to do if you have the wherewithal to actually pay those loans back. A uh, question here from Tammy in Akron, Ohio. She says, Tammy, uh, she, she says, Vina, would you please ask Rob what bank it is that he's working with that keeps offering him money? I bank with Chase Bank and they have never, when I walked into the uh, bank, offered me money. Is it perhaps the difference between big banks and little banks? That is a great question. You've got to choose wisely. Now, big banks have their place. But frankly, I found they're not really looking, they're not built, their loan departments are not set up to deal with somebody like me. They have their place. I would say maybe look for a bank that perhaps is not open on Saturday or Sunday. Those are definitely retail-oriented banks where they're looking for the maybe the average consumer that needs to cash checks, things like that. Look for people that will loan on assets. You could call it asset-backed lending, non-owner-occupied lending, portfolio lending. 
if your current bank is is good for you and you like it, make an appointment with someone. There's two sides of the bank. There's the teller side, and then there's the other side across the way has carpeting. Go over and make an appointment with the people on the carpet. Ask them if they will loan money to you on a rental property. If you don't feel good about that answer, find another bank. One of the things that these banks will ask for if you are changing banks is a checking account relationship. Be ready to do that. Throw $500 or $1,000 over there at the new bank. It starts there. It's all about relationships with the banks. Plan on opening a checking account when you go and meet with a new banker. But to her question, she should go to her local association, which she's probably a member of, and go ask around. Hey, who do you bank with? Who loans you money? Hey, you just got up there and talked about your deal, your rental property, because you were the featured presenter tonight or you were on the panel. Who do you bank with and why? And then write down those answers. Don't think you're going to remember it tomorrow. You're busy. You've got other priorities. We've got to get to the soccer game. Write that down. Get that banker's contact info. Make an appointment to go see them. So it does matter which bank. It very much matters which bank. And as far as rates, you probably will hear, depending on your credit score, something around the prime rate, prime rate plus one, which means plus one percent over prime, or prime plus two. If your credit is not as good, you may hear prime plus three or four. So some people think a mortgage broker, whoever sold them the mortgage on their primary residence they live in now that that's the only place. No, it's not. There are so many other places that are eager, chomping at the bit to loan you money. Remember, a bank, any bank, only really makes money when they are loaning out money to others. Find the ones that like what you're wanting to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, portfolio loans is a term that a lot of you know even even professionals who have banked for their whole lives don't seem to know about and uh, I always think it's a, a great question to ask a, a bank that you're considering do you do portfolio loans do you do unsecured lines of credit because if you're building a relationship you want to build one with somebody's got something to give you that's right and not just free coffee that's exactly <laughs> right so talk about talk about um so there's the bank and then there's typically people within the bank who are in charge of things like banking relationships with important people like like our private listeners. Client. Yes, private clients. Um does it does it does it matter like who you're working with? There's the bank, but then there's the person within the bank. Does that matter? There's a saying that I've learned over time from bankers that the relationships that that banker makes with their customers are hugely valuable. And when a new bank comes to town, they look around at who the most successful lenders are. They call them business bankers sometimes, and they try to steal them away. They try to hire them away because when when Joe Blow leaves Bank A and goes to the new bank B, or even just competitor bank B, he will bring his entire book of business with him. Because I'll tell you, if I built a relationship with, with Joe Bl- Joe Banker, I like Joe Banker. Joe Banker likes me. He has my documents. He knows how I think. He probably will be able to talk his new bosses into loaning me money, too. So I want to stick with the banker many times. But I'll tell you, don't just get married to the bank. A wise investor once told me that, hey, over your lifetime of doing this, you'll probably have multiple banking relationships, maybe having even three to five different banks that you work with at 
a single time, at a time, three to five at a time. Now, you may be having trouble thinking about one bank relationship. That's fine. Start with one. But if you can look down the road, that's your future. Brian from Grove City wants to know what you think of credit unions for this purpose. Credit unions are great for certain things. Car loans are probably a good place. My personal experience and those of other investors I know, they have not really been willing to lend on non-owner-occupied rental properties or notes or other assets that you don't live in or drive. What do you think the number one thing that employed professional passive real estate investors, we got to come up with a better name for these people. Because they're not all they're not all in white collar jobs. They're not all no. And the white collar has nothing to do with it. It's a consistent professional. I've been doing my job for a while, and I make good money, and I need someplace else to invest it. Yeah, we got to come up with like a two word word for that though. This whole white collar professional passive real estate investor thing that's just not going to fly. It's not pithy. We have to come up with something short and sweet for that. Anyway, those people who are like you, <laughs> uh, what is the number one thing that they don't know that they should that they should? Well, I'm first making an assumption they're already part of their local investor association, not a meetup group or something that's run for the benefit of the leaders of the group. You've got to watch for that. You want a group that is for the benefit of the members. But assuming you already are there, the number one thing I think you need to do right now tonight is pull your credit today and learn how to read that and then learn how to improve it. The key place to go is annualcreditreport.com. That's one they all participate in, all three of the major ones, annualcreditreport.com. Now, I'll tell you, all the three credit bureaus will try to sell you stuff, and that's fine. Just ignore all that. Get your free credit report and start to learn how to improve your credit, and a whole world of opportunity will open up. Mm-hmm. In every real estate deal, there are three things. There is somebody providing the legwork, there is someone providing the knowledge and skill, and there is someone providing the money. And if you're going to be the guy who provides the money, then the credit becomes very important. The banking relationships become very important. Uh, who you know becomes very important because, you know, another reason that uh, these folks should continue to hang out at real estate associations is there are a lot of people who have that time leg who are very willing to trade their time for your money and knowledge and skill. So, um, again, uh, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today and sort thank of sharing you, this, this like unusual thing of what about the folks who don't want to go out and bust their buns to make quick cash, but want passive investing. So we do appreciate you being here today and we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing until then happy investing. <laughs> <laughs>